Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash TWIP. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP. This week on TWIP, Holga lenses on your DSLR, shooting with the lens baby, and special guest Dave Metz of Sigma sets the record straight. It's Saturday, March 5th, 2011, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and joining me today on the show are Mr. Ron Brinkman and Mr. Derek Story. Hey, guys. Hello. Good morning. So it is no accident that both of you guys have been scheduled for the show uh, because a couple of episodes ago, we kind of went to town talking about third-party lenses. You remember that? Mm. And um, so now we're gonna, you're, you guys are going to have to confront Sigma. Dave Metz <gasps> of Sigma is – I'm going to dial him in. He's actually on Skype standing by right now. I'm going to dial him in in a few minutes. And we're going to talk to him, so we're going to get the scoop straight from the horse's mouth about Sigma lenses and, you know, are they good? Or, well, I know he's going to say they're good, but are they, right. you know, what's the deal with our concerns around, you know, longevity, color, accuracy, focus we, speed, we, and all that? Do we have to be nice to him? You don't have to be nice. No, you have to be real. You are representatives of the This Week in Photo Army, so you have to ask the questions that they want to know. So All right. you are be good. you are responsible. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could maybe we could do good cop bad cop. That'd be kind of fun. There you go. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yep. So yeah, I know good? I know Ron wants to be bad. Cop, I was so. just gonna say that. I was just gonna say that Ron cannot help but be bad cop. <laughs> no, that's not fair. <laughs> yes, I mean, my, my problem is I actually kind of like Sigma lenses, and I can't really. I don't have any specific complaints about them. Let's let's find a company that I really hate, and I'll be happy to be bad cop. But, well, uh, that's fine. Well, it's not about being bad cop to them. But it's just <laughs> you know you can ask the harder questions because right. Derek Derek's gonna be all nice and you know <laughs> grandfatherly. You know? <laughs> oh oh oh. I had to get that in there, Derek. How many minutes into the show? It's <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, before we get started, guys, I want to um, uh, just remind the listeners that we have put out a call for entries or a call for writers or participants of, for people to actually write for the This Week in Photo blog and uh, or the website and also help with us help us with the show notes and maybe even contribute content to the structure of the overall show so basically join the twip team so if you listener are interested in joining us and helping us formulate one of the most popular photography podcasts on the internet just head over this com forward slash contribute and uh, there's a little form there that we set up just fill it out and do your best to be as verbose as possible because that's the uh whatever you submit there is kind of like your writing sample as well so 
Don't just go there and write, hey, I want to join TWIP. Go there and tell us what you think. Tell us um, how we can improve the show, what you would do to improve the show, what your what your thoughts are on different topics that we should cover that we haven't covered and all that. And we are going to be reviewing those ongoing. So this isn't a one-time deal. We're, we're actually structuring This Week in Photo going forward to be um, more of the news outlet that it should be. So... You will see some radical changes and lots of new voices and faces pop up on thisweekinphoto.com over the coming weeks. And one of them may be yours. So head over there and submit your uh, your request, and we'll review it when we get it. All right. Um, also, this show or this episode of TWIP is brought to you by audible.com they're the internet's leading provider of audiobooks they've got more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and if you'd like a free audiobook of your choice just head over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip and download one I'm i got a pick you got a pick? Well, I got one too. I'm I'm in the yeah. middle of listening to a million. I'm in a, I'm a re-listener, so <laughs> I am I am re-listening to on the plane. I was on the plane from Virginia uh, back to the Bay Area yesterday, and I was listening to this book called Kaching. I know I mentioned it on the show before, but I'm mentioning it again because it's worth re-listening to. But it's about it's basically about um, how to structure online businesses and and make money online and you know without being a scumbag and you know <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's really cool. It's called Kaching with a K K A C H I N G. It's by Joel Com. So I would uh, definitely check that out. What's your pick, Ron? Uh, my pick is a book called Slights of Mind, What the Neuroscience of Magic Reveals About Our Everyday Deceptions. Mm. It's pretty cool. It's, I uh, need that. And, <laughs> well, and I, and I think it's, it's appropriate to photographers, too, because you know, it, it, the book is very much about what does, you know, what, what does our brain do when it sees things and how does it react to visual stimuli? And, and specifically, you know, what, what are the things that magicians are doing to kind of fool the eye into, uh, into believing that the magic is real? But I think there's a lot that a photographer can learn from it because it really does talk about, um, and, and especially for videographers as well, it does talk about you know what draws your eyes to certain things and away from other things and that sort of stuff. So it's you know it's magic from a very scientific perspective. Uh, it's pretty cool. I really want to check that out. You know, little a little known fact that the Twip listeners may not know is that uh, when I was a kid, I was an amateur magician. I didn't know that. I was an amateur magician. I still have my powers, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> you still have the, the top hat? No, see, that don't, that's a stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> you still have the rabbit? <laughs> there's, no, there's no top hat. There's no rabbit. There's just, you know, <laughs> the sleight of hand. It's the cool stuff. Have you heard of uh, Chris Angel and, you know, those guys? It's the new magic. It's the new magic. You did it to get chicks, didn't you? Uh, no, I did it because I was a I was a crazy shy kid, and it was my way of not being shy. <laughs> so, All right, that works. Uh, yeah, like like we didn't go into photography to get chicks. So come yeah, on, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's those work. Derek, don't think I don't know why you do those workshops. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Cover blown. You brought it up. See? There you go. All right. Again, if you'd like a free audiobook of your choice, just head over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip and grab yours today. All right, guys. Let's jump into the news. Uh, story number one. This is really interesting. And Derek, in particular, I want to get your thoughts on this. So, Holga, have you, have you shot, have you used Holga cameras or these like old time toy camera bodies? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Holga cameras are are fun uh, when you're in a film, you know, frame of mind. Mm-hmm. But this is interesting, huh? Yeah, take us take us through story one. What's the deal? 
So this is something uh, from, I guess, the, the story that I'm looking at is on Petapixel. You mm-hmm. know, shoot lo-fi photos using your expensive DSLR in a cheap Holga lens. Mm-hmm. So they actually have Holga lenses uh, for uh, Canon and Icon, what they show in the picture here. So you can actually put like this, this plastic lens that has uh, all these sort of flaws in it artistic flaws as many people like to to feel they are and for 25 bucks uh, you can you know shoot you know 20 megapixel holka shots <laughs> <laughs> you you too can shoot 20 megapixel screwed up shots if you like to. <laughs> so you know i mean you know the the question is that you know a holga what makes a holga a holga isn't just the the lens right it's a whole kind of flimsy light leaky you never know what's going to happen with the body experience so uh but the shot that they're they're showing here looks uh, i have to say it looks pretty holga-esque yeah and uh for 25 bucks i mean it i don't know it seems kind of fun i don't know so okay i gotta i always do it right (laughs) i I can't help it why i mean you could do all this in lightroom aperture or photoshop and post well you can do a lot of it right uh, and lens baby you know why why would you want this other thing to do that i mean uh, well, it's know, only twenty five bucks, so I'm not. I'm not. I think that's. You know. I think that's part of it. It's only twenty five bucks, and it does say Holga on the front. So there's some value to just have a Holga lens shoved on the front of your camera and walk around and. Yeah, I mean a, a 5D Mark II with a Holga on the front. I mean, there there's a conversation <laughs> there start. There you go. Yeah, that's I how mean, you get I, the chicks right there. Right? Yeah, I do think that the um, uh, the photo that they show on the on the web page, I'm sure, has also had a little bit of photo processing done on it as well because it's you know it, it has a kind of desaturated uh uh look that you expect with you know bad light leak scenarios and all that so i don't think straight out of the camera you're necessarily going to get the look uh, of the old hogos but you know what it, what it'll do is give you some interesting flares and, and artifacts and vignetting and and all that kind of stuff um i, I i've played with this kind of thing and I, quite honestly the other thing you can do is you can just go by crappy used uh, Canon lenses that are already beat up and have problems and beat them up a little bit more and get interesting <laughs> looks out of it, too. Yeah. And you can probably do that for less than 25 bucks. Or if you're like most of us, you've already got one of those lenses laying around. And, uh, you know, take it halfway apart and stick it on the camera and see what you come up with. Go to a, go to a swap meet and just buy all their cheap lenses, uh-huh. right? Yep, yep. Well, you know, I, I think, Frederick, going back to your original question, you know, why, why would you want to do something like this at Capture when we can do it in... in post-processing yes. and I, I think that's something that we bring up all the time right not just here but other places mm-hmm. and I think it's just faster at capture I mean I, I think it's a little bit more exciting at capture and and uh, you know so you're, you're looking at it on the back of your LCD of your camera and going ooh that's kind of neat and then cameras now of course they're having more little processing uh, tools inside yeah. the camera itself so i you know it sort of depends on i think where your sensibilities are and and where you like to do your work i think for people who enjoy capture and don't enjoy post i think stuff like this is fun yeah, you yeah. get the happy accidents and i and i definitely get that you know the, the stuff where you just wouldn't have expected to do it and you get it quickly you don't have to go into this mindset of now i'm going to try and produce something yeah. and i you know honestly i think that's you look at the success of the iphone app hipstamatic Yes, uh, which is partially due to the sharing uh, side of things, but also, and there's a few other ones that are the same way that just have these kind of canned retro looks to them. Uh, I, yeah, I, I'd be willing to bet that more photos are being taken with that than with most other cameras combined these days. So, yeah, yeah, between uh, that one and Instagram and all that. Yeah, definitely. yeah, I know. And, and I, super I super eight's cool too. Mm, yeah, I haven't tried yeah. that one yet. Oh yeah, 
Is that is that a still thing or is it does it no, do no, video? No, no, it's for your video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so it does like an Instagram thing with video. Exactly. Interesting. Oh right? yeah, it's a, little... it, it's a riot. Very cool. So I mean, I guess I guess the where I go to with this is like it, we talk about the the post versus pre on you know, getting effects on your images. It just seems counterproductive from a pixel punisher that you would take pristine pixels and mess with them before you you know like the, you're messing with the source where you could do you could take that same image say you were you had this lens on your camera and you went out and you did this photo walk and you got this amazing shot that's your source now you can make it look like this holga thing or you can make it look like something else or you can make it look as is or whatever when you shoot with something at capture then you're kind of stuck right well, you are, and but you're 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 taking on the mindset of somebody who feels like they are going to create the image and post. Uh, you know, like Derek said, this is this is more of the instant kind of thing where you don't want to deal with a, a major post processing job, and you would just want to get something that's unique and quirky and sort of a one of a kind deal. And uh, I, it's just, I think it's just a very different mindset. You know, yeah. I, yeah. This is when you want to get your artist on, Frederick. There you yeah. go. There yeah. you go. Nice. Yeah. Look at that. See. All right. Then, <laughs> then if I want to get my artist on, then why not just use film? You know, if if, oh, if it's the, at that level, why not just use film and scan it in? That way, uh, and, the and pixels are do. the pixels. The halides you can't mess with. Right? Yeah. Too, too much work. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's, oh, you want to get your point. lazy artist on? Okay. Yep. I get it. <laughs> okay, you're honing in on it. <laughs> yep. It's my job. It's what I do. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, let's uh, let's jump into story number two. But, uh, kind of all of our stories, uh, or at least the first three we've got lined up, are this, along the same lines, right? Different mm-hmm. sort of uh, uh, lenses and, and things that give you these different sort of out there kind of looks. I mean, the yeah. second one you're going to mention here is the the lens baby stuff, right? Yeah, take us through it. Then I have to actually click on the link. Uh, (laughs) You did the segue, so you own it now. (laughs) I set that one up and then couldn't actually follow through, huh? (laughs) Lens Baby releases the Sweet 35 Optic with Internal Aperture. So, and reading through this, this looks like it's actually sort of an an add-on to existing Lens Baby stuff. Uh, I don't think it's a standalone device so much as it's an extra piece that you can add to your existing lens baby lenses that give you a variable aperture control. So it's an uh, uh, adjustable 12-blade internal aperture, and you can just sort of dial up and dial down. Previously, all the lens baby stuff, and for those that aren't familiar with lens baby, it's, it's again, a sort of a specialized lens that is designed to have this very shallow depth of field where you can kind of move around where the, the center focus point is. And uh, up to this point, I think the only kind of aperture control they had was these kind of drop-in aperture rings that would give you a fixed yeah. aperture yeah uh, I, I, ha- I hated those too i mean that's why i was kind of i think this is kind of neat yeah because those drop-in things with a little magnet i mean i felt like i was playing a kid's game uh in, in the field and then you you lose the things and all that so this is this is very convenient it's kind of neat yeah, yeah. It's, it's just basic it is literally a a variable aperture that goes into an ex- the existing framework, and uh, and the other interesting thing about this, then, what it lets you do is it lets you have something that you could conceivably dial up and down while you're shooting video too, uh, as opposed to you know not oh, being yeah. able to change your aperture while you're you're shooting with one of those drop-in aperture rings. So that's interesting. That's that's a good point. I, I haven't I've I've heard that people are are doing that shooting video with lens babies and getting some fantastic effects, but I haven't really seen. Any it's, yet? It's neat. It's neat. I have, and it's uh, it's a great application. If you, if you know, for those of you that are listening, if you got a lens baby laying around, uh, shoot some video with it because it, it's really nice. 
Nice. And now this only goes down to f2.5, um, so you, know, you kind of wish that it would go even further, obviously. Uh, but even so, I mean, the, the little sample things that I've seen so far, you, you definitely get an interesting look. And the fact that it, the fact that it's on a lens baby, which means that you're also doing kind of a tilt shift capability on it, means that you can still throw the background or stuff off to the side out of focus by quite a bit. So. It's kind of cool. I don't have a lens baby. I've borrowed them on occasion, and they are fun. It's just, it's the same kind of deal though, where uh, you know you can do some of this stuff in post, uh, but you know, it's just a lot faster to do this. And there are certain things that would be actually kind of difficult to do in post very yeah. well compared to using this. I want to force myself, and I have a lens baby. Um, I guess the second generation lens baby when they improved on the mount and the the little sort of ball and socket joint there mm-hmm. um and i mean i i've honestly i've taken it out once maybe twice because i feel like when i'm when i'm going out like on a photo walk or something yeah that it's i gotta i have to be in lens baby mode it becomes a lens baby photo walk if i'm yeah. if i'm doing that because my mind has to be in that okay i'm gonna take slightly less sharp images and i'm gonna deal with a little more randomness and you know that kind of thing rather than if i put a 50 on there and yeah. walk around, and that's my only lens. I know my 50. I know what it's going to do when I pull it up to my face. I know the shot I'm going to get, and I know what I, I even have in my mind what I might do in post on this particular image later. Like, hey, I'm, I'm going to take a picture of this flower. I'm going to boost the saturation on just the flower and desaturate the rest. So I'm going to get this shot like that. Right. You know, so it's, I think it's a different mindset. I don't it, know. It, it's, it is. It's very specialized, and I think it's exactly that. You need to kind of be in that mode. Uh, I, I just I can't imagine there being all that many times where you're like, oh, this is the, the perfect lens baby shot so much as I'm going to take a lens baby-ish shot and I'm going to go find subjects to do it. Yeah. Well, you know what, what we do a lot of times is that we'll put it on a second body, just mm-hmm. have that second body just kind of thrown around your back there. Mm-hmm. So you're doing your, your main shooting and then... You know, you're in a situation, oh, I just feel like playing with this for a second, especially when there's downtime, you know, when you're waiting for someone else to get a shot or, you know, whatever you're doing. Yep. Uh, it's it's, a, it's a kind of a nice way to kill time. And if you put on a second body, then uh, you're not, uh, you know, you're not having to be in a lens baby sort of mind all the time. Yeah. You know what I, you know what I think we need, Derek, and maybe you should, your, your company should develop this. How about a uh, lens baby-like uh, smartphone application? I know there's there's things like Tilt Shift Gen mm-hmm, out mm-hmm. there, which I love. That's one of my favorite iPhones. I, I love Tilt Gen too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tilt yeah. Shift, Tilt Shift Gen. <laughs> there's an F in there. Is that, is, did I say that, or did I say something else? You couldn't let it go by. Now we got to mark this thing as explicit. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. It was a show, a family show, until you got here. Hey, tilt- it's a speech impediment. <laughs> Tilt Shift Gin is an awesome. <laughs> now I'm gonna start saying it. Right. It's an awesome app. Uh, basically, it lets you control. It, it lets you simulate uh, areas of blur, which lets you. I think what they say in the description of this little app, it's an iPhone app. What they say in the description of it is it it simulates fake uh, depth of field. And I don't like from a marketing perspective. Marketing guys don't like to see the word fake in any kind of marketing copy. Right. <laughs> Right. What were you thinking? Don't say fake. Say simulated or something. Yeah, I yeah. use it on the iPad, and I really like it on the iPad. Oh, it I haven't d- used it on the iPad yet. Oh, oh, it's great on the iPad, and it has vignetting, too. So you have both, uh, you, you know, the tilt shift, shift, and you have uh, vignetting also. Nice. Hey, it's nice. You, Get, load it up on your iPad. I will. I will. I will definitely play with it. 
Um, all right, uh, let's move right along from there, uh, Derek. Before before we go into the next story, you said you uh, you mentioned before we started recording that you have a new toy that you're playing around with from uh, Samsung. What is it? I do, I do. So uh, I I know a lot of you know that I write uh, camera reviews and uh, columns for Macworld magazine. So the one that I'm working on right now is the Samsung the NX100. And it is their entry into you know this the space that we call the ILC or you know, you know, competing with Micro Four Thirds. Mm-hmm. The uh, Samsung and Sony are taking a little different approach. You know they're doing the crop sensor inside a smaller body, where Panasonic and Olympus are doing the Micro Four Thirds. The the cameras though they look all very very similar. So the NX100, this is uh, Samsung's entry in it, and I've been playing with it for a couple days here trying to get to know it for the review and it's it's a nice little camera frederick i have to tell you really it yeah it, it feels good it, it feels like you would expect uh feels closer to the size of the olympus pens than it does uh, to the sony's uh focuses fast a uh, really nice lcd on the back uh three inch three inch lcd that looks really good uh it's 14.6 megapixels, so wow. it's got a little bit, got a little bit of horsepower there, yeah. and uh, of course you've got the, you know, the crop sensor, so you've got a, a good ISO performance, high ISO performance, and the menus look really nice too, and it feels good in the hands. Hmm. What's so. the, what kind of lens selection is there for this? Well, there, you know what they did. So the lens that comes with it is a uh, 20 to 50, and of course, so then you have to multiply by the crop factor, which mm-hmm. is. I think somewhere around one and a half. Uh, but they they only have like three lenses right now. But what they did was smart. They announced their roadmap. I think they just did it in the last week or so for lenses that will be coming out over the next year. And it's a pretty it's a pretty good lineup. So or right now, you, I think you have three lenses to choose from. And But it looks like it's going to be more like six by the end of the year or something like that. I haven't I don't have the roadmap open right in front of me, but I remember reading that they announced it. So mm-hmm. that they're working on that part of it. What's going to be your final I mean is it is are you going to give it a, a Derek recommends this thing go out and buy it now or what? Well, you know, it's it it's tough. I mean, I will tell you that I like it. I do like it, but you know, we're comparing it against some really good cameras: the Sony NEX, the Olympus Pan, and the, yeah. the Panasonic G series. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is uh, this is a, a, a tough area. So I I would say that it would probably hold its own against these. But personally, when you look at the lens lineup that Olympus has, and you look yeah, at what Panasonic. This you look what Panasonic's doing. Yeah, you've yeah. got, you know, I, I just, I, I was really hoping that the Micro Four Thirds would take off as a, a cross-platform kind of a thing. And, and so far, unfortunately, it's really just Olympus and Panasonic supporting it. And, you know, I was really hoping that there would be a well, wide selection of backs and then a wide selection of lenses. And you could really I help. have good news for you, Ron. I have yes. really good news for you. So, guess who has signed on to the Micro Four Thirds spec in, in recently? I don't know. Zeiss. Zeiss uh, has, mm, Snyder I, has, and Sigma has. And in uh, fact, maybe we could ask our guests a little bit about it. So now on Micro Four Thirds, it's not just uh, Panasonic and Olympus, who are both cranking out lenses at right. a pretty good clip. We're also going to have Sigma, Zeiss, and Schneiders. Yeah. So, wow. yeah. yeah, see, that's, that's just, I mean, that's strong to me. It, because, again, you're now back into this thing of you're going to be buying lenses that are probably going to outlast the body, right, in terms of technology being upgraded. Yes, and everything. absolutely. 
And, uh, you know, so at least, although I, I wish there was more, you know, I just really wish that Samsung and Sony were producing their uh, backs with the, they could take these lenses on it. You know, they could take the micro four thirds lenses. Well, and I think Olympus and Panasonic have, they're onto something here. They're going, how are we going to compete against these guys? And mm-hmm. I think lens selection is, is a is a great way to do it, and signing on these these three three more lens manufacturers, I think, is a real feather in their cap. So, yeah, so stuff. me personally, I still I still like the uh, Olympus and Panasonic's better. Well, speaking of lenses, let's uh, let's go ahead and bring Dave Metz of Sigma in and uh, have him join in the conversation for a bit and see what he has to say about all this. So, um, Ron. Try not to be too harsh, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be harsh at all. <laughs> all right, now he says it. Mr. M- Mr. Metz, are you there? Yeah, I just logged on. Hey, how you doing? You're on, you're on live, or at least we're recording, uh, with Derek Story and Mr. Ron Brinkman and myself talking about lenses and all that sort of magic. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, glad to hear from you guys. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having us on. We, I know you. Uh, the the impetus of having you on this particular show was a while back. This this group of people. We did a show where we were talking about third party lenses and were they viable for the TWIP listening audience? And you know there were concerns about color rendition, focusing speed, and um, just overall longevity. So you're here now so now we can ask you in person and sort of get from the the horse's mouth what these lenses you know where the where the drawbacks are where the positives are and sort of put it all in perspective for us so well i'll I'll sure try to do the best i can for that wonderful so let's kick it off with that so you guys thank you by the way you sent me uh uh I think it was three lenses that I've been kicking around for the last couple of weeks. And well, I hope you haven't been kicking them around. I have been. I, <laughs> see, I'm trying to test the durability of them now. I haven't literally been kicking them, but uh, I have been uh, shooting with them aggressively as my primary lenses over Great. my Nikon lenses just to see, the, you know, get the feel. And, and I took note of everything from when I took the lenses out of the packaging um, all the way down to when I fitted it, you know, fit the fit the lenses to my camera and the feel versus when I buy a new Nikon lens and all that. And I gotta say, it was comparable. You know, the fit and finish and the quality and the packaging and the lens case and all that stuff is very comparable to to Nikon. So congratulations on that. So let me well, thank you very much. Let me kick it off with this first question though. Um, Sigma lenses, this off the top. Sigma versus a Nikon lens. I'm an amateur photographer with limited resources. Um, of course, I'm going to be drawn to Sigma because the price point's a little bit lower than than an on-brand or a Nikon slash Canon lens. Um, what what are my drawbacks? What am I looking at? And be candid with us now. You uh, it's drawbacks in buying a Sigma lens. Yeah, or not, or just why? What what are the decision or decision points that I need to be that I should have in my mind as an amateur photographer that would cause me to go one way or another? Like, what well, would- okay, I think that's a better way to look at it. Thinking of decision points, um, obviously the most important decision point is what are you looking for the lens to do, and what are your expectations for the lens. You know, I talk to customers a lot of times at trade shows, and, you know, the very first question that I ask customers is, you know, what kind of pictures are you, do you want to take? What is it you're trying to accomplish with this lens? Because certainly within any product line, whether it's uh, Sigma, Canon, Nikon, uh, there's going to be a wide range of lenses at a variety of price points that do a variety of different things. So to a great extent, it depends on the customer and, and what their needs are. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you want to, uh, and Derek and, and Ron, feel free to jump in whenever you want. Um, but well, I did. I, I did have sort of a question in, in, in the in the sense that, um, you know, I, as, as Frederick said, people are generally probably first drawn to uh, a Sigma brand because they they look at the specs versus the price point, and it comes in at a better price point. Uh, and you know, fair enough. I mean, there there may or may not be trade offs due to that. But I guess I'm curious if you guys sort of have a a philosophy of uh, some lenses would fit into that lower price point and potentially uh, lower re- reliability area versus sort of uh, the the higher end, you know, like the L series Canon has. Is there uh, is there something along that line in the Sigma where you, you you're not compromising anywhere and you're having a price equivalent to to meet that no compromises solution? Well, I, I think if you look at our lineup of lenses, you'll see there's some pretty obvious choices. You know, for example, if for um, uh, for the uh, the casual snap shooter who's going to be taking photographs out in the backyard, uh, we have some relatively inexpensive zoom lenses down, you know, around the $200 price point uh, that are going to be just perfectly fine for the photographer who's going to go out and and shoot pictures, you know, occasionally shoot pictures of the kids in the backyard and and take it on vacation once or twice a year. But a lens like that certainly isn't designed uh, to stand up for professional use. You wouldn't expect to see that on the sidelines of an NFL football game. So, you know, so I think there's reasonable expectations. You know, on the other hand, if you look at our lineup and, and, and look at a, uh, a lens that's clearly designed for an advanced amateur or a professional, uh, such as our 70 to 200 millimeter lens with optical stabilization, that you know, this sells for about fourteen hundred dollars. You know, compete head on head with anything that Nikon or Canon has to offer. Yeah, and, and you know, but you don't actually have sort of a a branded difference between those two kind of classes of lens, do you? Well, you know, it's apples and oranges. Uh, if you look at our lineup, we have what we've designated as our EX series of lenses, which over the past few years have been the ones that Sigma has designated for professional use. And that's been kind of nebulous in mm-hmm. terms of what it means. But it's, it's you know, a heavier-duty construction lens. Now, as I understand it from Japan, uh, from Sigma Japan, that that designation is going to be morphing here in the future so that uh, the EX series of lenses will be the ones that, are, uh, that incorporate the new uh, uh, splash-proof uh, weather resistance um, but that isn't that isn't fully fleshed out just yet. Okay. Hey, um, Dave, uh, this is Derek. Uh, we t- we actually talked at WPPI. I I came by. Yes, the- briefly. Yes, I yes, remember that. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, do you have a way? Is there a way that that you guys stress test? The lenses, so that yeah, I mean, the, you know, kind of one of the the concerns I think for photographers that have been shooting for a long time is, will this lens perform five years from now as well as it does when I first get it? Do you guys have a way to, to test that, or yeah, you know, I mean, you know, we see car commercials where they where they you know run Mercedes Benz through the Sahara Desert and stuff like that. Do you run Sigma lenses through the desert? I mean, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think they're actually doing that. Um, I honestly, I can't. Uh, I can't tell you what kind of testing they do in mm-hmm. in Japan. None of the manufacturers are are talking about that kind of testing or mm-hmm. or specific quality control points. 
Okay. Lenses. And uh, um, over the last couple of years, um, the you know the Sigma line has morphed over the last couple of years. Um, previously, we were our lens uh, array was more heavily uh, oriented towards amateur photographers. And in the last couple of years, we've changed that so that we're making more and more lenses that are geared for professional use. And so uh, with higher expectations, uh, I'm, I'm sure they've increased their standards in Japan. But quite frankly, you know, none of the, none of the camera or lens manufacturers are going to reveal what they're doing inside their factories. So, Dave, what, what does that mean exactly when you say you're, when you're, when you're designing specifically or targeting more professionals over amateurs? Is that quality or just lens speed, focusing speed? What, what are we getting at? Uh, specifically, selection. You know, if you, look at, if you look at Sigma's lineup in the past 15 months, uh, we've introduced 11 new lenses that are clearly all targeted towards professional photographers. Uh, lenses such as a 120 to 300 2.8 with stabilization, uh, an, an 8 to 16 millimeter wide angle lens, which is the only one of its kind, uh, two new macro lenses with optical stabilization built in, um, you know, and any number of lenses which are, are, are clearly not designed for mom and pop uh, snap shooter. Is what, that what something? Is, oh, go ahead, Ron. I was just going to ask, what, what is your most, your one or two most? popular lenses, the ones that sell the best? Well, the ones that sell the best, you know, are clearly, they're going to be the lower price lenses in terms of quantity. So something like the 70 to 300 millimeter lens, of which there's about five different varieties, depending on the lens mount and camera system you're using, that's that's a, a very inexpensive lens, and it's it's designed, uh, um, you know, as, a, as an easy second lens for uh, uh, an amateur snap shooter to use, and and then uh, I just want to wander into something that we were talking about in the previous segment, which is: Can you tell us anything about Sigma making lenses now for uh, Sony NEX series and the Micro Four Thirds standard? Well, all I can tell you is what I've seen from an announcement and press release from uh, Sigma Inc. About two weeks ago, there was an announcement came out that they said that they were intending to start making lenses for the Sony and for the Micro Four Thirds format. Uh, but all I know is is what I've heard in that press release, and we yeah. have no no additional information from Japan at this point. Okay, Got it. but it's interesting, you know, if you if you look at, at Sigma, we we have a very unique position in the marketplace in terms of what we do. We're we're actually completely different from all of the other uh, lens and camera manufacturers. You know, if you think about this, um, Tamron and Tokina, uh, both excellent companies making really good products. Uh, basically, they're just making lenses. Uh, although Tamron does make some security camera equipment and that kind of thing, basically they're lens manufacturers with you know about 15 lenses in the lineup. If you look at Canon, Nikon, and Sony. Uh, those companies are making cameras and lenses, and you know the Canon and Nikon lines have about 50 to 60 lenses in their lineup. But but Sigma is actually in a category by itself because uh, we are in fact making cameras, and we are in fact making lenses for our own cameras, of which we have close to 50 at this at this point. But we are also making lenses for five other lens mounts. If you think about it. From a manufacturing and 
a product production standpoint and engineering and uh, you know parts acquisition. If you look from that standpoint, Sigma is actually making 260 different lenses right now. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's kind of mind-boggling. And, and when you add in those four-thirds and micro lenses, however many they're going to add there, you know, we're, that, that, that's a pretty staggering number uh, for, for a very small company to be manufacturing. So we're, we're in a kind of unique position. We're very proud of that, that our dedication is to photography. You know, we're not making copiers. We're not making ophthalmic equipment. We're not making rifle scopes. We're not making binoculars. Um, Sigma is a very old traditional company um, you know our, our CEO today is the man who founded the company 50 years ago and uh, his dedication is specifically towards uh, photography you know and that's part of the reason why you don't see the the Sigma SLRs with uh, with a video component uh, in the camera because right now uh, the focus is on making cameras that uh, that are that are doing the best we can with a foveon sensor um, for a fine image quality. So we're kind of a unique company. Wonderful. So Dave, what's what's next for Sigma that you can speak of to the to the TWIP audience? What can we look forward to? <clears throat> yeah, excuse me for coughing there. I'm still uh, still recovering from my bout with whooping cough last Uh-oh. fall. Oh, sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the the thing that we're all very excited about is that. Uh, uh, in sometime here, within the next few months, we expect to introduce our new SD1 camera into the marketplace. And um, this should be a, a, a distinctly revolutionary camera. Um, it's using the, the Sigma completely different type of image sensor than any other camera is using. And it's going to have extremely high resolution. Um, it's effectively going to be a, a 46 megapixel camera. Um, in an APS-C type format. Uh, so, you know, if you think about what's available in the market right now, that's a, that's, that's a really impressive number. Um, we did have a prototype of the camera at the WPPI show uh, to look at, and, and although it wasn't final quality in terms of, of the imaging sensor, uh, I was very impressed with the, the feel and the, uh, the ease of operation of the camera, so we're, we're really excited about that. And we have we have uh, four additional four or five new lenses that we've announced that we should be seeing soon. Uh, the 120 to 300 uh, 2.8 with optical stabilization added. Uh, a new version of the 12 to 24 millimeter wide angle lens um, that is using some of our new FLD glass. Mm. Uh, a new 105 macro, a new 150 macro both of those with optical stabilization and um, uh, a lens that I really am excited about the uh, the 50 to 150 um, 2.8 uh, which is being uh, reintroduced with optical stabilization so those are all within the next uh, three or four months wow you guys are busy huh yes we are yeah absolutely so David, here's a there's a quick question on manufacturing I know you touched on this a little bit before but Nikon and Canon, I believe, both maintain their own lens or their glass works themselves and their own quality control and all that. Does Sigma do the same? Well, the fact is, is that that almost all glass used in lenses in for Japanese manufacturers, uh, and virtually all the glass comes from Hoya. 
they they supply virtually everything. Um, Canon and Nikon will make some very small quantities of their own glass, I'm sure, but the bulk of it is coming from one supplier. And then what happens is the manufacturers take the glass elements and, and uh, grind them to their own specifications and then incorporate them into the lenses. So uh, where the real difference comes in lenses is not so much the glass, but in terms of the uh, the computational design and the engineering of the, the 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 lens elements, specific lens elements, and then the way they're actually constructed. Got it, got it. And then the Sigma, of course, does that. So you get the the bulk glass or the raw material um, out of Japan, and then create your signature lenses from that raw material. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now you know there's an interesting uh, an interesting new development in glass, and that is the. Uh, uh, a, a lens, a kind of glass that we're calling FLD glass. And this is something that we announced at PMA. And it's a kind of glass that was originally developed by Hoya. It's a, it's a Hoya um, brand. And it's a, uh, uh, a glass that has the optical characteristics that rival that of a fluorite, of a special fluorite glass element. And, you know, over the years, the fluorite elements have kind of been the penultimate of, of optical performance in terms of uh, chromatic aberration. And, um, and uh, this new kind of glass, this FLD glass, was actually developed for use in fiber optic connections, um, in, for use in very, very small uh, lens elements for making those connectors. And Sigma was actually the first company to be able to incorporate this glass in larger elements um, within and in fact, uh, with this new round of introduction, uh, we'll have five or six different lenses that are incorporating this new FLD glass. Um, I'm sure you'll see the other manufacturers start to use it. In fact, I think uh, uh, one of the T companies has announced uh, one of their lenses is going to be using that glass. But um, it, it's the kind of technology uh, that, that comes from a supplier and then kind of uh, trickles down throughout the whole industry. Wonderful. Well, Dave, thanks so much for uh, for taking time out of your Saturday to chat with us. Anything you'd like to leave the This Week in Photo listeners with? Well, you know, I, uh, just uh, the, the thought that what we're trying to do at, at Sigma is uh, reflected in our, our, mar our marketing slogan for this year, which is uh, exploring the possibilities. And um, we're very committed to making lenses and cameras that help photographers explore their creative possibilities, uh, open up new horizons for them, give them the opportunity to try to take photographs that they they might not have done otherwise. And so that's what we're all about, exploring the possibilities. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, this has been a really informative um, discussion, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the feedback that the This Week in Photo listeners will post on the blog for, for this particular episode. So thanks a lot. Okay, and uh, when we actually get that new SD1 camera in hand and we can actually talk about specifics on that, uh, maybe we can get back on here and uh, explore that possibility too. Absolutely. You should, uh, you should get one in the hands of Derek Story. He's our, he's our, uh, our ace tester so, All righty. for camera sure, we'll bodies. <laughs> okay. All right. All thanks. right. Thanks a lot, Dave. Yeah, thanks, have a good afternoon. Right, bye. Yep. Thanks. All right. That was uh, Mr. Dave Metz of Sigma. Guys, we got the we got it from the horse's mouth. What do you That's what do you good. think? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I actually do think that 
the thing I like best about uh, Sigma lenses is, is when they kind of push in directions that the other manufacturers aren't. So, like their eight millimeter fisheye is sort of a, is a category leader, and it's just a really fun lens. And so, hopefully, you know, that that kind of stuff, especially where there's there's a clear choice that is sort of the only thing out there, yep. and it gives a capability that's not available from the other manufacturers. It's kind of nice. Derek, what do you, were you lusting over the new camera body he was talking about? I uh, I actually, uh, yeah, I got a behind-the-scenes demo of it uh, in Las Vegas. It's it's good. That, here's the problem that I, that I see Sigma facing, and to some degree, uh, I ran into the same thing when I tested the Olympus E5, which is, you know, their their revised flagship DSLR, full-size DSLR, is that they, I don't, I think they're having a hard time keeping pace with uh, yeah. Canon and Nikon uh, in terms of uh, feature set. Thing, I mean, little things like uh, burst mode and uh, no video mm. and uh, 2.7 LCD. Just, I mean, little things, but they sort of add up, and, and the, the price difference isn't that much different than you'd pay for a Canon or Nikon or Sony. Sony's DSLRs are you know, good values right now also. So I, I think it's just going to be tough for them. I think if you have Sigma lenses already, uh, people are going to like uh, this new body. But I don't think it's going to draw people over from, from the other brands. But, you know, yeah, they, they hang a lot on that Foveon sensor. And, uh, you know, even Dave did, you know, the, the math that they tend to do, which was characterized as sort of every individual uh, site, you know. So what he says is a 46-megapixel sensor. Yeah. Uh, that's really, you know, 46 being you take the red plus the green plus the blue. Uh, and, you know, most other camera manufacturers are sort of... And, and I mean, it, in some ways, it's not a completely marketing... I mean, it's a marketing-driven thing, but it's not completely unjustified in the sense that they do have distinct sensors as opposed to the Bayer pattern kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, the net-net, however, is not that you end up with three times the resolution if you were to look at it on a resolution chart. Um, you get somewhere in between. It generally is a little bit better than if you looked at 46, like a you know 15 megapixel uh, sensor from a, with a Bayer pattern, but it's not quite what the numbers they toss out there either. No, right? and and you know when you say net net, you know my net net also is that it is not outperforming these other sensors. So, no, I don't. You know, yeah, and I, I and I, I'll stand on that statement. But the whole yeah. the whole promise of the Foveon sensor, if I recall correctly, was more accurate color rendition, right? You know, the, the, but that's the thing. That is the promise, right? But, uh, you know, these Canon, Nikon, Olympus, Panasonic guys are pretty smart. And, yeah, you know, yeah. they, they have really figured out how to, uh, you know, tweak their their technology so that the results are fantastic. And they are fantastic. So I just don't think Sigma can go down that road to say that uh, their camera produces better pictures because I don't, I don't think they do. I don't think I'm not saying they're worse pictures. I'm just saying that's not something they can hang their hat on. Yeah, and that's kind of my point is that they they rely so much on on touting the Foveon sensor as as being revolutionary and that I mean it is different, but I don't think it is different enough to be so much better either. You know, you mm. probably can find situations uh where that works to your advantage, you know, if you've got uh, a shot that would typically have a whole lot of moiré in it, you may see a, a quite a different result on a Foveon sensor versus a Bayer pattern sensor for instance. Yeah. But I think those situations are kind of few and far between. And the net net, if you look at the two side by side, I don't, I don't think you're going to see a clear. And there are people that swear by the Foveon sensor and feel like it has some kind of magic pixel dust dust scattered about it as well. But uh, I think overall, you know, it's you just got to look at 
a wide range of photos. All right, Derek, when when you get it, you're gonna have to put it through its paces and report back. I will. All right, all right. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by Squarespace.com. They are the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog, and you can create a website that is uniquely you. You can display your photos, whether they live on Flickr, a blog, um, or wherever. You can bring in tweets or RSS feeds and incorporate them into your site, and then pick the colors and design of your choice, and you can do it all within the Squarespace UI. Squarespace also has um, the the overall experience is optimized for both beginners and folks that understand what the letter CSS mean. Um, they've got a bunch of templates in there. They've got an iPhone app, blog module, commerce, Google Maps integration, forms. It goes on and on and on and on. So basically, the uh, the the net result is if you are looking for a cloud based solution that lets you build it, host it, and manage it and update it from anywhere you can just look to Squarespace and try it out for free. And if you do want to try it out for free, just go over to squarespace.com forward slash TWIP, T-W-I-P. You don't need a credit card. You can try it out, build your website, and then uh, sign up for their free trial. And then if you like it, then you can you know keep going with that. So that's squarespace.com forward slash TWIP, T-W-I-P. Okay, it's time for some listener Q&A. Every week our producers scour the This Week in Photo forums at thisweekinphoto.com forward slash forum to find the best questions for us to answer on the show. And this week's questions are pretty good. The first one I'm going to throw over to Mr. Derek Story. Derek, you want to take this one? Yes. Um, so we have a, a question here uh, about second uh, curtain shutter sync and uh, and then also slow sync. Now the the post sort of mixes the two together, but second curtain shutter when you're using a flash and slow synchronization when you're using a flash are actually two different things. And the question is, you know, when when are they best used? When is it overdone? Stuff like that. Well, I mean, I think they're they're two different things for me. Uh, they're problem solving uh, techniques. Uh, Slow sync for me, which is when you move the shutter speed down to a longer shutter speed. So instead of shooting at 1 60th of a second, as you might normally do when you take a flash photo, let's say you're in program mode, it's probably going to be 1 60th of a second. Uh, in, a, in a twilight situation where you want maybe the background scene and you want the person uh, that you're taking the shot of in front of the background all to kind of be balanced. 160th, that background scene will probably be too dark and you probably won't like it. You know, you, it, it won't be what you're hoping for. So by moving your, your shutter speed to a longer setting, let's say a 15th of a second or an eighth of a second, something like that, longer less more light in from the background then you can have that nice twilight scene and you can have the the person exposed well and i think that's where uh slow synchronization is is a very handy technique now second sh uh curtain shutter that mainly just is when does the flash fire if you have a, a longer exposure do you want the flash to fire at the beginning of the exposure or at the end of the exposure, because you know there's kind of a long time there. You know, an eighth of a second's a long time in the photography world. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's enough to get camera shake and all sorts of other problems. So if you move that, uh, generally speaking, by default, flashes fire at the beginning of the exposure. Uh, if you have trailing lights or something, and you want those lights to be behind the subject that's moving, then 
you want to move it to the uh, second curtain shutter. It's like if you have a car, like if you're you're flashing yeah. a runner or something, and you want yeah. the runner's trail, the blur to be behind him instead of in front of him, which it you naturally go, should be. You need what second curtain? curtain. Second curtain, right? Yeah, because you want the flash to go off at the end of the exposure. Yep. So, uh, so they're they're two different things. Uh, they're sort of related in that they usually have long exposures, what they have in common, but uh, you're, they're used differently. Got it. Perfect. Perfect answer. All right. Question number two is from Mister Useful. Um, I'm gonna throw this to Ron. You want to take this one? Yes. He says uh, he shoots with a Nikon D7000. Loves shooting with prime lenses, but doesn't quite get all the hype about the 50 millimeter, especially for street photography, because he seems to get better results with a 35 millimeter for those kinds of shots. Uh, eliminating aperture from the equation and looking strictly at focal length, does it come down to a matter of personal preference that some people rave about the 50? Um, yes, of course it does, because you know, everybody has kind of their, their preferred shooting style. Uh, although, in some ways, I would say that Mr. Useful is actually making a case for why everybody raves about the 50 millimeter, because he's shooting with the Nikon D7000, which is a crop sensor camera. So effectively... For him, putting a 35 millimeter on there is the same as somebody, more or less, putting a, uh, a 50 millimeter on a full frame sensor. Yeah, uh, it kind of takes you back to that, and and I think part of the magic, if you will, of 50 millimeter is it's fairly close. You know, looking through the viewfinder to what you would kind of see with your own eye. So there is some some basis for that, but really, I think it's more a matter of for most of the time when people talk about how they love their 50 millimeter it is definitely a combination of things it is a very useful focal length but it's also uh, a lens that's very easy to manufacture an extremely high quality lens at a reasonable price so you see all of these uh, every manufacturer has a very good 50 millimeter prime with a very large uh, maximum aperture uh, so I think it is a combination of those things but it, it is kind of amusing that he basically says he likes the 35 but it's on a crop sensor camera so it kind of takes you back to about a 50 yeah uh, anyway very cool Derek you have anything to add to that yeah that that was the same thing that jumped out at me is that uh, the the lore around the 50 has to do with full frame cameras so on a on you know on a 5d mark ii uh, a 50 is is a really neat street lens but uh, on the on a 7d of course you probably want something a little bit wider so this is exactly what ron said perfect all right question number three is from user stowaway from polkville north carolina and they say uh, they've been photographing a young lady who is a talented up-and-coming singer. The singer wants to use one of the photos as a press photo and also autograph and hand out at live shows. They're trying to strike a balance between cost and quality. Should these images be printed on regular photo paper, or is a heavier weight stock better? Have any of the TWIP hosts done something like this, and what have they delivered to clients? Uh, Derek, what should, uh, what should Stowaway do? Photo paper, send out. <laughs> upload the jpeg right? upload the jpeg i mean you're going to get a good price on on a whole bunch of stuff and you don't you don't want your your budding starlet here to to be you know do inkjet uh, copier paper or something so yeah. no photo paper but you can get such a great pricing so this is not a job you print at home this no, is a job I, it's, yeah, that's send out asking for, asking for trouble i think yeah i mean you know we were talking about this before the show and I think a lot of us are getting to the point where we don't print anything out at home uh, if we want any kind of quality or, in this case, quantity, because it's just sort of as cheap or, or cheaper to send it out, and you don't have the hassle of you know having to babysit your printer. So, yeah, yeah, I know. I have a I have a a, a large format printer that I haven't used 
in, I don't know, over a year because I can send everything out and it's easier, it's faster, it's quicker, it shows up in the mail. I don't have to do test prints, any of that stuff. Um, but I do, I, you know, that said, I do have a printer connected to my computer at all time, but now it has morphed into um, an Epson Artisan 800 multifunction printer. So I can scan, print, fax, all that stuff. And it does photo quality printing. It's an Epson printer, and I can print on photo paper, but the largest it can do is 8x10, which is fine, which is exactly what I need. So my on the rare occasions where I need to print something, like I want to hand something out to somebody or surprise someone, I can do it on that printer. But for the vast majority of everything else, anything larger than an 8x10 or anything that I need quantity of, yeah, upload the JPEG. Yeah, and see, I, I even went beyond that, and I got rid of my inkjet, and I now have a laser printer, which is is crap for doing photorealistic stuff. Yeah, but it's reliable as 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 all get out, and I just you know I the the hassle of inkjet printing, you know I would just constantly be finding the the heads have dried up or something, yeah, and that's it's true. just and it, I just got so frustrated with it, and I bought a, a color laser printer. And I can. It's one of the best sort of computer-related purchases I've ever made, just because it's taken so much stress out of my life. Which one did you get? Uh, I have the HP two six zero five DN. HP's marketing department at it again. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, and at least for me, it's it's been it's been very good. You know. So. All right. Well, I I do I do print, and I and I do <laughs> like it, but I but I don't I don't print large quantity. I'm not going to print 50 prints of something or 100 prints of something uh, here at the studio, but I, I will advocate for, for you know, uh, making prints at home because I do think you can do things, uh, you know, with your own, if you like the process. And, you know, this is kind of sort of embedded in what you guys are saying. You have to like you have to like doing it, but if you like doing it, uh, I think it's very satisfying. And there are times when it makes me feel like I'm seeing that image come up in the, in the tray. Yeah, uh, yeah, know, that's so, true. So there, I, I do, I do like printing at home too. I think, I think where I would draw the line is if you're, you're like a Derek Story or a Martin Evening or Greg Gorman or someone, and you're doing these these signature prints, right? Well, that's pretty rarefied air there, right? <laughs> sure, I put you in, I put you in good company there. <laughs> wow, you're trying to make up for some of those earlier comments. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to make up for you know the uh, the cane with the flames on it, you know. <laughs> So, but you know, if you're doing like one-off prints where you did this one shot and and you only want to print five of them, and you're going to sign each and every one of them individually and sell them for a gazillion dollars each, then yeah, you want you want to control the process end to end. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But that Absolutely. said, that said, uh, you know, the devil's advocate piece of that is if you make that limited run of prints and you say, okay, this is this is one of ten prints, and I'm only uh, that's all I'm making, then you decide two years from now that you know I actually want to make another print. You'll be hard pressed to match that print, you know, to to get the same, the same exact color, everything from the first run on the second run two years later. Am I if right, you, Derek? If you print on your thirty eight hundred, you can match that print, Frederick. You you want to put money on that? <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, Epson will put money on that for me. All right, I want to see it. I want to see it. You, you heard it here. Derek's going to do a test for us. In two, but, you're going to print a print now, and in two years' time, you're going to match it. <laughs> you ha- we have to do it on a printer that is uh, able to do that, and the 3800 is one of those printers. It, oh. it, it, it has. I want to. I want to tell you another thing that I like to print at home are uh, 
fine art greeting cards and stuff like that mm. the, where you know you get to make them yourself and uh and again handcrafted cards a lot of fun and they're easy and the only reason why you guys are getting clogged heads is because you're not printing if you well, if it's print- true no it's absolutely true that yeah. that you know if you were one of those people like me that doesn't print that often then the inkjets are actually going to be so much worse because they will dry up and clog out and if i was printing constantly then yes it would make a lot more sense yeah. but i kind of realized that you know i'm not i don't print that much uh, and it was, it was a pretty easy, easy decision when I sort of sat down and did the math on how much it would cost to print the few things that I do want at that high quality versus the cost of the printer. Yeah, and the and the space of the printer in yep. your in your limited space, yep. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and specifically that relative to the kind of things that I do tend to print a lot, which is you know a Google Map or uh, <laughs> yeah. something, you know, things that I don't really need photo photo what, quality on. What is your color workflow for that, Ron? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wait, why why are you printing maps anyway? Don't you have a smartphone? <laughs> It's too small sometimes. That's yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys, uh, let's uh, let's get into the picks of the week. This is uh, this is the time of the show where each guest gives their pick. This can be a piece of software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's related to photography. Ron, what is your pick? Uh, I'm going to do a total self-serving pick at this point. I've been uh, I've been working on working with some guys on a website that is headshotchooser.com. Uh, it's kind of an interesting idea. It's a, it's a website where people can upload. It really is designed to kind of help people pick the, the best shots uh, out of a group. So, you know, you'll go out and you shoot, shoot a bunch of headshots of somebody, and you kind of narrow it down to the two or three uh, best ones, but you're not quite sure, really. It becomes very much of a uh, subjective kind of a thing at that point. And what this headshot chooser lets you do is upload up to three photos, and then it sends them off in sort of a little mini-survey to a bunch of people behind the scenes and gets just feedback of which one do they like best. And it's really pretty interesting when you, when you start using it to discover that almost always one of the photos that you've submitted will emerge as a clear favorite. Uh, so it's kind of this you know, wisdom of the crowds idea. Uh, ask two or three of your friends, you're going to get... You know, who knows what kind of uh, responses. But if you start surveying uh, 200 people, for instance, and it's kind of set up to do that, then uh, a, a really a, a consensus will emerge. And you can kind of believe in that and say, all right, I know that any given photo won't necessarily be a favorite for any person, but I'd like to know kind of what the, the average person on the street would think. So so this, this website's just really still in beta, and uh, it's kind of at the point where uh, they're looking for, we're, we're looking for feedback from, uh, a lot of people, in this case, photographers, obviously. So just go to headshotchooser.com to get a basic idea of what it is. Uh, headshotchooser.com slash sign up will take you directly to a sign up page. Uh, and there's also a survey set up that I would love to have people do, which is headshotchooser.com slash survey one. And, um, and you can send me email. There's, I've got an email account set up with them too. So just ron at headshotchooser.com. Uh, if you have any kind of feedback, I'd love to hear about it. But yeah, go poke around and uh, tell us what you think. Try it out. It's free to do small surveys, uh, and then there's a there's a fee for doing larger surveys. But uh, at this point, it's a lot about just getting feedback from professionals. I think ultimately the site's going to be targeted as much to uh, you know models and actors who are doing their headshots and want to get some idea of which one's the best. But I could also see a scenario where the uh, the photographer may off- offer this as sort of a value added. Uh, thing for for their clients, and, and I'd be curious to hear what people would think about that too. If they, you know, not only do they deliver their headshots to their client, but they also 
deliver a survey that says, you know, I did a quick survey and this is the one that most people seem to like. Um, so anyway, headshotchooser.com and uh, let me know. Very cool. All right. Thanks, Ron. Mr. Story, what is your pick? I have this uh, new thing, and I love these. I've been testing them all week. They're called Flash Benders. They're made by Expo Imaging. And if you're, um, if you're online right now while I'm talking, go to expoimaging.com, and you can see these things. <clears throat> They're modifiers that go around the, the head of your flash. And since uh, they go on any flash, they're, they're universal, though, so you don't have to get a special one. And there are these white uh, panels with black backing made out of very, very nice material. And you can bend the bounce card in uh, just all sorts of different directions. So you can make it a, a bounce card. You can make it a snoot. You can make it a, you know, whatever whatever curvy sort of lighty thing you need to do and uh they're only about 30 bucks each and they're fantastic i just used them for a photo shoot i just did a a, a lynda.com training on group shots so we you know we do light we did live shooting for two days and i use these and the reason why i really like them is that they they fit in my camera bag so here i have these cool light modifiers for my flash for doing off-camera flash but Everything fits in my camera bag, and I don't have to use a, a second lighting bag. So, really? flash benders uh, by Expo Imaging—they're—they're they're really, really cool. What are, what are we looking at price-wise? Uh, the small one, the bounce card, is uh, twenty-nine bucks, and then I think the then they've got a, a wider one, which I use for group shots, which is more of kind of a sixteen by nine configuration. I think that's. 30 I can tell you right now it's like 30 uh 34.95 and then they have a, a big guy uh w- which is uh is called the large positionable uh which I really like it's the one I'm actually holding right now and that one's 39 um and you can wipe them you know they're made out of this material that will last forever and you can wipe them down they're they're very nice very cool all right play with your light get creative get your get your artist on yeah, I'm I'm re- I'm resisting the urge to say play with your large positionable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm resisting. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> don't don't say that. <laughs> All right, my pick of the week um is a book that I just got in the mail from uh Natalie DeBiz. She's a uh, a photographer that I interviewed on the show. I think it was either on this show or on frederickvan.com. Either way, search for her name, or we'll put the the link in the show notes for this to the to the audio interview. But uh, she's a photographer that specializes in self portrait photography. So, this pretty girl takes pictures of herself, um, but artistically, and these are amazing photographs. I mean, you gotta you gotta see this very much like Rebecca. Um, and I think in many ways she's probably inspired by Rebecca. But the the shots that she does are just artistic and moody and dark and just cool um so she goes into just her thinking behind these shots and and how to do them for yourself and just it's amazing i think this is a book that that she needed to write to just sort of answer all the questions that people pose to her all the time about how'd you do that shot and you know how'd you get 15 of you in that one scene and that sort of thing so we'll put a link to the book in the show notes i think it's up on amazon right now for pre-order um, but it is an amazing book. I'm holding it in my hand, and I highly recommend it. So definitely go check it out. Very nice. All right. We are at the end of another show. Mr. Brinkman, where are you at online? 
you can find me on Twitter, Ron Brinkman, R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. Oh, and uh, I think Headshot Chooser is on Twitter now, too. Well, oh. I don't think there's a whole lot being posted yet. But. All right. Well, follow, follow Headshot Headshot Shooter. Headshot Shooter. That's a... Headshot Chooser. <laughs> don't let Derek say that. Don't yeah. Like that. Hey, uh, you're not doing so good yourself there, buddy. <laughs> hey, I'm jet lagged, so I have an excuse. <laughs> All right, Derek, where where are you at online? The digitalstory.com thedigitalstory.com and uh, every, everything flows through there and uh, including uh, workshops I keep I, I bring up workshops uh, we have the balloon festival coming up in June and the Sonoma Coast workshop uh, coming up in August and aperture workshop in May Wow. And uh, I have dynamite models for the uh, for the uh, two live action uh, workshops. A lot of fun. Just send me email, Derek at the digitalstory dot com. D e r r i c k. Very cool. And Derek, your space is limited on those, right? It's not like you're going to have a crowd of like Scott Kelby with five hundred thousand people no. in the room, right? We we this is this is uh, deluxe all the way boutique. Uh, we limit it to eight. And, oh, and and I take very very good care of you, and uh, so that means if I have two models for a shoot and there's eight of you, you can do the math. It's it works out really really well. Very cool. All right, that's Derek. All right, and if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, and more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash frederickvan. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.